Hi, welcome to Tab's Two Cents. Today on the show, we have Andy Wong, and he's been a financial advisor for over 20 years. Today, we're talking about finance. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Tab's Two Cents, the show where we discuss multiple income streams and macro factors affecting the world today. Hey, Andy, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be back. Yeah, of course. Happy to have you on. I wonder if you could just give a little bit of an introduction for anybody who maybe didn't watch our first episode together. Okay, I don't know if my introduction will match, but uh, I'm Andy Wong. I'm a financial advisor for over 20 years, easily. Um, family business, work with my father and my brother. And my father was director of research at the Bank of New York. My brother was at College Retirement Equities Fund, and I was at Thompson Financial Services. And uh, I don't know, instead of painting, we're the father and two sons financial advisors. But all have backgrounds in equity research, portfolio management, and we've been at it for a little while. Yeah, no kidding. 20 years is a ton of experience. And I hope to pull a little bit of that knowledge from you in this podcast. And I know, so the last time you were on, it was 2022, June. And, you know, there's there's been a lot of changes since then, with both with inflation and the markets. And I know that's something you've kind of been sort of chatting about and interested in lately, sort of the macro outlook. I wonder if you talk a little bit about that, considering today is was Fed Day and we had a... Uh, quarter point hike today. We certainly did. Yeah, I guess since June of 22, it does feel like um, it does feel different. But in my view, we've been in a bear market since early 2022. Um, 2023 has been weird. Like January was so strong to the upside. But I still think that we're in a bear market. And um, I guess from that sense, it's, it's continuation. But yeah, everything happens very slowly. So going to going to work every day and watching the the ticker tape, watching the market, sometimes it feels like watching paint dry. But um, you know, it's been very range bound. I guess is what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say, the S and P 500 has been trading in a range and. Not much has really been happening, except for a mini bank crisis and <laughs> Federal Reserve that continues to raise rates. So my outlook, since you asked about macro, is that the Fed is still trying to fight inflation, still raising rates, raised a quarter point today. And I think that history has shown that the Fed, because they tend to be data-driven, um, tend to be late. They're not early. And so far, Chairman Powell seems to be, he appears to be on a mission doing what he's saying in that he doesn't want to lower rates or pivot too soon. He saw what Paul Volcker went through in the 70s. And if you reverse policy too soon, inflation comes back and he does not want inflation coming back possibly worse than before. So in my view, he'd rather sacrifice and have short-term pain for the long-term gain. And, um, you know, that's, that's not 
that's not fun medicine. And certainly politicians prefer not to have that on their watch either. Um, but the Fed chairman's in a unique position that if he wants to, if he wants to spark a recession by raising rates, then he can. And um, I think longer term, that is a good thing. If we have inflation coming back, that would be a, a big negative in my view. Uh, it's difficult to really control inflation if it's running rampant. And um, we'll have to see how it goes. Uh, because the banking situation is, is pretty serious. Even today, we saw Pacific West Bank in after hours down over 50%. Uh, so it doesn't seem like the banks are out of the woods. And at some point, the Fed may need to look at their policy um, because I think that the problems that banks are having, it is, it is attributed to the Fed keeping rates at near zero for so long and then raising rates very quickly. And that's what that's what that's why we are seeing banks having the issues that they're having. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really interesting what's going on right now. And especially in the banking sector, because as you say, the rate increases have been hit them extra hard. I wonder if you could elaborate just a little bit on the banking sector and why they're so sensitive to the rate hikes. The rate hikes are at the core of the bank's business because um, the banks are taking in customer deposits and on the other side, they're issuing loans, business loans, mortgages, personal loans. Um, and it's all interest rate. And they're trying to, they're trying to, uh, they're trying to make money, um, you know, with the spread, right? They want to, they want to lend out and hopefully make a higher interest rate than what they, they're trying to make that profit. And when interest rates go up very quickly, um, what they do with the customer deposits is that they are buying bonds and making a return on that investment. So sometimes they, they sometimes banks will get in trouble because, because of credit quality. We saw that in 2008, 2008, the great financial crisis because subprime loans. Um, the idea was they slice and dice them and then it was supposed to be low risk. In the end, it turned out it was not low risk. Subprime was still subprime and it was a quality problem. This time around, Silicon Valley Bank, for example, invested in US treasuries and US agencies these are very conservative investments, but the problem was if they are buying a 10-year bond at maybe a 2% yield, and now interest rates have been hiked many times, probably um, you know 5%. So their bond portfolio on longer duration bonds, they have losses on paper. If they can hold them into maturity, then it's okay. They collect their 2%, they get their principal back. But when or if their clients, their customers are taking deposits out, then they have a liquidity issue. They need to sell their bonds and they end up selling their bonds at a loss. 
Um, so that's what's happening at a lot of the banks. They have this um, asset maturity mismatch or a duration problem. And that's why we've seen the, the Fed and the Treasury have had to provide a special program whereby if banks need the liquidity, the Fed and Treasury will give them a loan on those uh, bond holdings that, where they have unrealized losses. So trying to protect them from realizing those losses because the, the Fed and Treasury can take those, give a loan, and the Fed or Treasury can hold them until maturity. Yeah, I think that there's a bit of a misconception with bonds that they're risk-free because, yes, they are risk-free if you can hold them to maturity, essentially. But if you, if you need to, for whatever reason, sell those early, depending on where the rates are, then the actual value of those bonds can go down, which is, That's is correct. what we're seeing, correct? That's what we're seeing. And I think the other issue, there's another problem, which is the smaller regional banks uh, investors are concerned that it's a problem that may cause the bank to become insolvent. And then there's a, there's a run on the bank. Uh, customers are just deciding to take their money out of the smaller regional banks and put them into the big four because they're deemed too big to fail. And um, that just makes the problem worse because the regional banks on paper their investment portfolio is of good quality, but they're having massive client withdrawals and forcing them to sell those bonds at a loss. And then on top of that, short sellers, there are hedge funds that are shorting the stocks of these regional banks. So the bank's share prices are going down drastically in very short order. So suddenly the banks are finding finding themselves in a very difficult situation. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a an interesting time in history, I think, with the Fed right now. And I, I listen to Powell's speeches, what generally I try to. And it's funny that you mentioned Volcker earlier, because one thing that he said, and it was, I think, probably early 22, he said, that he actually looked up to Volcker because he had the courage to do what he thought was right at that time. And to me, that's kind of a scary statement in some ways, I think, because certainly the data right now is pointing to a hard landing in in many areas. And today we today we had a, a record high in spot gold and you know the the yields are still inverted. And all this stuff is going on. You're seeing like the jolts came in way, you know, under and all this stuff is happening. And I, I don't know if Jay Powell's vision for what should happen is necessarily how he's acting. What, what do you think about that? Do you think he has a vision and an idea that he wants to follow through on? Or do you think he's remaining data dependent? I think he's trying to be data dependent, but... I think that his vision appears to be pretty singular. It's really focused on inflation. He does talk about, um, you know, his mandate being, it sounds like two, two pronged it's employment and it is, um, you know, inflation controlling inflation. And, um, 
I think that he wants to get inflation under control, preferably below the Fed's target of 2%. But it's still at 5% right now. It's come down. Hopefully, we've seen peak inflation. But it seems like it, it feels that inflation may be persistent for some time. And it'll take a while uh, to get it below the, the Fed's target 2%. Um, so we'll have to see what happens. Um, what makes it tricky is that if banks are having issues and it's caused by the Fed raising and hiking rates so quickly, will they need to pivot at some point? Because you can't have a situation where a whole slew of regional banks are failing and potentially even one of the larger, you know, top five, six, a top 10 bank fails. I think that would put a lot of pressure on the Fed to start lowering rates, um, you know, just to make the environment a little less drastic for them. But we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah, and they've been a little bit wishy-washy on which banks they're going to make whole, as they say. I know there was that, you know, exchange between Janet Yellen and the Oklahoma senator, I think. I'm not sure if you saw that, but he was asking her if, you know, the regional banks in his state, if there was a situation where they started going under just like Silicon Valley, would she and the Treasury make those banks whole the way they did with Silicon Valley and, and you know, take that risk away from depositors? And she couldn't give them a straight answer on that. So, you know, it's a little bit concerning if the banks are are going to run out of money and then the, you know, the U.S. Treasury isn't going to back them up. Well, it gets hairy when you, um, when you, when you have this um, banking world of haves and have-nots and you have a consolidation at the top where you've got four huge banks and the smaller ones are struggling in a big way because those smaller banks are very important to the U.S. economy. Um, and you're in Canada, so you know regional banks similarly in Canada, you need the regionals because they are providing a lot of the commercial loans and mortgage loans because they understand their geographic region um, that a JP Morgan Chase may not. They, they, the smaller banks, they have the better understanding of the intricacies of their local markets. And those business loans and, and mortgage loans are really important to the economy. Um, that's going to be one of the side effects, I think, of the current banking situation. The expectation is that banks are going to need to strengthen their balance sheets and in turn, they're going to get much tougher on their lending. They're going to be lending less, and that lending is very important. The bank loans are really, it's like the oil of the economic engine. And if you're removing oil, the engine starts seizing up, or it's not, it's not running as smoothly. And inevitably, you're going to have, it's very um, contractionary versus having economic expansion. 
one thing that you said there um, that I thought was interesting is the potential for inflation to kind of be sticky. And I wonder, just based on your knowledge and, you know, being a financial advisor, what you might suggest some people start to consider if that is the case, because it certainly seems like some people think it's going to be sticky, but then other people think there could be, you know, a hard recession and deflation. I wonder if we could just talk a little bit about those scenarios and how people may want to consider positioning themselves just right now. Well, I think if you look to see what is the market telling us, you mentioned that gold is very strong. So investors are investing in commodities, investing in gold, in other precious metals. Um, yeah, commodities have been touchy too, because if we're going to have a recession, things like oil are showing us that, okay, maybe demand is going to be less if there's an economic slowdown. And we've seen oil come down quite a bit this year. I think that for investors, you know, for, well, two things. One is that for the average, for the average person, for the average Joe, I don't know how much they should actually even pay attention to all this stuff that we're talking about, because I think the data suggests that people are not investing enough. They're not planning enough for their retirement and their futures. And therefore, if they ignore all of the noise that is day to day, they just have to stick to basic principles. It's spend within your means. Don't take too much um, credit and you know, don't take on too much debt and invest in a consistent, regular way because over time, your investments are going to grow. And I think that, that that kind of sage advice would benefit most people. Um, on the other hand, there are sophisticated investors out there. There are hedge fund investors out there who they believe that their research can deliver alpha, that they can deliver investment performance that is better than the stock market averages. They can either figure out how to make money when the market's going down or when the market's going up through you know, stock selection or allocating to the right asset classes that they can outperform. And that's not easy to do, but it can be done. Um, I interviewed one guy who was a hedge fund. He, he managed a book at Citadel and Millennium, two of the biggest hedge funds. Uh, he's no longer there. His name's Mike Taylor. I, in, I, in, I interviewed him on Inspired Money. Today, he manages a healthcare ETF, ticker symbol is pink, where, which he actually does pro bono and donates all of the profits to the Susan B. Komen uh, Foundation for Cancer Research. But I really admire Mike for his knowledge of the markets and his analysis of where we are in the market cycle and what's happening. So I wouldn't suggest that people be positioning specifically for inflation. I think that... Um, you know, we may be living in a world where inflation is not as low as it has has been, and how we've how low 
we've gotten used to, like in the previous 20 years plus, I, I would more be trying to figure out is a recession coming or not? And is a market correction coming or not? Um, and actually, I think for, for many people, um, the asset allocation today can look a little bit different than 12 to 18 months ago. Because when interest rates were near zero, you had to take more risk because you couldn't get a return on your cash in the bank or in like US government bonds. Everybody was forced to, if you look at a 60-40 like stock to bond portfolio, people weren't getting enough return on their bonds. So they were ending up having like a 70-30 portfolio instead of 60-40. Today, that has changed quite significantly. And that's also what's impacting the banks. People are looking at their bank account. And if you're at JP Morgan Chase, if you're Bank of America, Wells Fargo, these big banks are still paying very low interest rates. It's something like 0.01% to maybe 0.04% on your cash. It's almost nothing. And money market funds, like at Fidelity, there's a Fidelity government money market fund. FDRXX is the ticker. That's paying, I think, close to 4.5%. If you buy a three-month or a six-month US Treasury bond, you can probably get over 5%. So people are looking for yield now. That's a luxury. I mean, if, if there's uncertainty of is the economy slowing? And I think that there are signs that it is. Um, I think that the, the, the consumer is slowing down. The consumer debt is picking up. You see auto loan defaults starting to increase. Credit card, um, like credit cards are seeing problems, you know, on the fringe. It's not, it's not hitting, hitting their like core business right now. But they're seeing more uh, people taking on credit and not being able to pay. And I think a lot of these signs don't bode well for the retail sector. I think consumers are, they have less to spend. They're still being impacted by uh, inflation increasing their daily expenses. And they've turned to credit cards um, to cover a lot of those daily expenses. I saw that I don't know what the percentage is, but I did see a figure like buy now, buy now, pay later. Like the number of people using buy now, pay later for their groceries has increased quite significantly. Um, so all signs of, I, I think one should be a little bit cautious. And if you can make 5% on your cash, it pays to be patient. So what I'm getting at is I think we're in an environment where there is uncertainty. There are bank, there have been bank failures. It's possible that, you know, we're not out of the woods with these bank problems and there could be an economic slowdown. Certainly there can be an earnings recession. I would say watch very closely the next couple of quarters 
how how are earnings? I think this quarter's earnings guidance hasn't been great. So the companies are telling us that there's a slowdown. But again, if you can make 5% on your cash or over 4%, that's not too shabby. I think that you can afford to have less equities and keep some dry powder uh, so that if there is a recession, there's a market correction, then you can redeploy your cash at better prices. Wait for great stocks to go on sale. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree completely with that. And I think too, if people have debt, it's probably a good time to pay that down as well because the rates are so high and, and what you're what you're paying there. And it's interesting you say that, you know, we could see some earnings being hurt from this. And and I say that because one of the lessons I learned from you on the podcast last time, I think it was uh, your dad saying perhaps that when you said earnings matter. And that's a that's a lesson that stuck with me. And that's something that I, I hold on to still. And, you know, when I look at companies since then, I'm always kind of considering what are their earnings and what do they look like? And I haven't quite bothered as much with companies that aren't growing their earnings the way they should be just in the speculative nature of side of things. So thank you for that lesson. I appreciate that. And I wanted to just ask you, what are some of the lessons that you've learned from your podcast, the inspired money podcast, because I know certainly for me, I've learned a lot of my journey since I started and like even just from, from your last pod. So wonder if you would want to share some of the lessons you've got from your pod. Some of the lessons, um, all kinds. Uh, I think, you know, the basic personal finance lesson is most of us know how much money we make, but too many people aren't sure where their money goes every month. So in interviewing many different guests, one big takeaway was just start tracking your spending because um, nobody likes the budgeting word. It always sounds intimidating. It doesn't sound fun. People are worried that creating a budget is going to be restrictive. Um, so tracking just seems much more um, doable. It's like just track to see where your money is going for a month. And then if you do that for a second month, you can identify some trends. It's like how much are you spending on eating out? How much are you spending on food? cooking at home, how much, I mean, most of our household expenses, I think are like three or four big items, which is our housing, transportation, healthcare, and food. So those four things can make up, I think close to 70% of the average household budget. So you don't need to write down every single penny, but if you track those four things, you really quickly get a good picture of where your money's going. And if you do it for two months in a row, you almost can't help but to try to make improvements. You're like, oh, I didn't realize that I was spending that much on going out or uh, on takeout. And then the next month, you're like, all right, let me try to do a little bit better. Um, there are different areas, right? So one is that's like identifying where can you save. I think it's, it's, equally as important to figure out on the other side, your income. It's like, how can you make more? Um, 
and that can come in the form of finding a side hustle or you know monetizing a hobby or it can just be having money conversations at work uh, with your manager because it can't just be at review time you need to have a healthy dialogue all the time um, about you know it's not at review time it's it's in between that's equally as important that you're having those conversations and trying to ask like what can I do um, are there projects that I can be volunteering for so that I can get a pay increase at my next review and if you start laying some of the uh, groundwork prior before uh, review time, then it makes it a lot easier for you and your manager uh, to justify why you might deserve a pay increase. So I think, you know, things like that, it's like um, having that conversation and then knowing when to ask um, because getting a pay increase can help a lot. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Increasing your income and then of course saving as every dollar saved is as good as a dollar earned, right? So I mean it's yeah, that's a great, great way to go. And but you also talk about on your podcast kind of like more of uh some of the human factor things and and success planning and and different episodes where you talk to, you know, like the hedge fund manager you mentioned earlier. I wonder if there's some psychological lessons you've learned from those people you know how to set your mind up for for success and not not just the number crunching you know what i mean sure well i think personal growth is really important um to all successful people um because our goals are a moving target it's like you set a goal and you reach it and then what um you see that in sports you see like the the you see somebody who's like striving to be the number one tennis player in the world. And then they get there and sometimes they're disappointed. They're like, <laughs> they're like, I made it now. What? Um, so because the goalposts are always moving. So I think that it's like, how do we challenge ourselves? How do we set the next goal? And at the same time, it's important just not to be overly focused on the rat race either. It's um, it's taking time to look and say, you know, what may, what brings me happiness? What brings me contentment? What are the things that matter in my life? Um, because it's not just money. Like, what good is money if you don't know what you want and you don't know what you want to spend it on and you don't know what brings you joy? Um and then even giving back, it's like, um, how are you giving back in your community? How are you donating to charities that are meaningful to you? Um, I think that all of those things, it's like taking the time to think about what is it that you want to do with your money? And in having some of the, that analysis, some people find that they have enough. It's like maybe they didn't need as much money as they thought. And, um, you know, there are those who seek financial freedom, retire early, like fire movement. And they're very clearly trying to define how much do they need. Um, 
and having those discussions about what are their priorities, what 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 brings them joy. Um, many people are finding that they don't need to be in the rat race forever, and to to retire at age fifty or earlier if they can, and live in a lower cost geographical location. Um, those are things that people are exploring. So yeah, my show's inspired money. It, it can mean a lot of different things. It's, it can be saving, it can be investing, it can be figuring out how do you make more, but at the end of the day, then what, like, what do you want to do with your money? I think, um, we find that we can't take it with us. So it can't just be a goal of making money. Uh, it's just not very fulfilling. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And I've had a fire, uh, Diana Marion, on my show. She's <laughs> a fire movement girl. She runs the Economy Conference. And uh, it's interesting when you talk about goals, because I think that goals really are the key. And, you know, if your goal is to be happy, then money isn't always going to fulfill that. And I, perhaps that's why sometimes it's so difficult to fall into that lifestyle creep cycle where you think that if you get the bigger house and the better car, then you'll fill that gap. But really there could be, you know, more to it. Maybe you're working too much and you need to work less and it's, it's not actually the items, but it's the lifestyle. And I think that's just as important as budgeting is figuring out uh, where you want to be and what yep. you're going to do with the money. And I wonder if you've found that in setting goals, especially because you live in you live in money, you live in the numbers. I wonder if you found that you've hit some of those milestones and and sort of had that challenge to yourself to say, um, now what do I do now that my budget's perfect and my investment's set up? Where do I go from here? Well, my budget's not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's is. That's right. Like like anything, it's always a moving target. Um, yeah, I I was just having a conversation with my wife this week, and she was um, she's saying that okay, she, we're going to go over our budget together and review and see where we can make improvements. Um, we just did a renovation on our home, so. Uh, we're back in the house and now like literally the dust is settling and we're trying to figure out, um, what does our budget look like? How can we make improvements? Because, um, we need to pay off some of the uh, home improvements. So, and I have, um, three kids that are not in college yet. So that's, I always tell people that's, that's the specter in my future, the, um, college tuition. We'll see. I hear really good things about the universities in Canada, in Canada and uh, tuitions are a little bit less. Yeah. Well, especially with the, if the dollar stays as strong as it is, the, you know, tuitions here could be cheaper. And, but real estate certainly is an issue. <laughs> so, you know, it depends what you want to deal with. It's the devil's in the details, but, um, yeah, no, I thought, um, that's great. And I think that's also true that no, you're, it's never going to be perfect. So don't beat yourself up. Even if a 20 year 
financial advisor can't get his budget 100% perfect, then, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a moving target, as you say. And, and you we're say all it's doing a process, it. not a destination. So. Yeah, exactly. We're all doing our best. So, um, yeah, with that, I think that you've really provided some, some good insights here. I wonder if you want to just share where people can find your contact, find your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, inspiredmoney.fm or go to youtube.com slash inspiredmoney. Been doing a lot of video uh, over the last year and a half, maybe two years, and um, we'll continue to do more there. We're going to start doing some live streams and recording the podcast as a live stream, uh, which is going to be a whole new experiment. But um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it because the live stream, I think, potentially can be more interactive that viewers and listeners can actually drive the interview at the time of the recording. They can put questions into chat and um, yeah, comments and questions and I can multitask and track that and interview a guest. So it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah. That sounds super interesting. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Really thanks, appreciate Joe. it every time. My pleasure. Joe is not a financial advisor and may have interest in the stocks discussed on the show, so do not take any information included within this podcast as a recommendation or formal advice. Thank you. Thank you.